0: Tonight on Hops and Box Office Flops Brought to you by Revengeofthefans.com It is clobbering time As I, the thunderous wizard Along with my special guest host Captain Cash will cover Roger Corman's ill-fated Fantastic Four
1: movie Hops and Box Office Flops A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much-maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please, sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show!
0: Hello, and... As I stated in the intro, tonight we will be covering producer extraordinaire of B-movies and other schlocky garbage, Roger Corman's Fantastic Four. I am your host, the Thunderous Wizard, a.k.a. at WriterTLK on Twitter. And today I am joined by a very special guest, uh, cosplay master, Marvel aficionado, Mr. Captain Cash. He'll let you know where you can find him.
1: You can find me at Captain Cash on most places. I'm mostly Instagram versus Twitter. I'm prettier than I think. Good words.
0: That's at C A P T C A S H, Captain Cash.
1: Exactly right. Back to the whole better at the looking pretty than the words.
0: <laughs> so uh, I know this movie's been on your radar for a while. Obviously, we've known about it forever. Neither of us had watched it before. Uh, We decided to dive in. Now, I don't know where you watched it. I watched it on YouTube, and it was not a good transfer by any means.
1: No, but I feel like watching it on YouTube with the piss-poor transfer actually kind of got me into it a little bit better. If things were a little grainier, the special effects weren't as bad.
0: I will say this. uh, When we get into sort of how this, this movie became this disaster for everybody involved. Uh, when you watch it and it looks so bad, uh, in addition to the fact that, obviously, it's really cheap, uh, the special effects are about as dated as any special effects could possibly be, you just feel bad for the actors.
1: Oh, man. By the time we get to... they They made a documentary about this called Doomed, which you can also watch on Amazon Prime, which I very much recommend. It really... It's a twist of the knife. These people really gave a damn. Wait, am I? How much am I allowed to curse? Is this an explicit podcast?
0: It's an explicit podcast.
1: Oh, they fucked these people over hard. Like I, it's, like uh... you feel bad. Oh wait, but wait, before we get too much further, the uh, the hops of the evening. What are you drinking there? Uh, okay, so writer,
0: we haven't yet, yet incorporated this into the show in the first two episodes, but sort of the kind of the the idea behind it is that we're gonna watch bad movies sometimes bad movies that we really love. But you're also, you know, you want to enjoy yourself and have a couple of beers. So I found something called Newton's Folly. uh, (laughs) And since Reed Richards is a scientist and he literally just makes dumb decisions the entire movie, it's like one great great folly after another. (laughs) Uh, I thought that was in a good good spirit for this.
1: What about you? Very nice. I'm having the, uh, in respect to the Fantastic Four, I'll be drinking a Belgian quad from the Omgang Brewery called Three Philosophers. Why they made a quad and then called it Three Philosophers versus Four, I don't know, but uh, let me just... I, I'm fancy, so let me pop this cork real quick. Alright.
0: That's impressive. That's going to sound... That actually came through very clearly.
1: Uh, good, look at that. Audio and stuff. It's like we're a professional outfitter almost. E- exactly.
0: Now... Here's my first observation about this movie. If you didn't know that there was four of them, they make sure they tell you way <laughs> too often. This has the title drop at least three times, which is only surpassed by the amount of times the thing says it's clobbering in time.
1: You, you're right. You think just the one would be enough on any one of those, but they really, like, I appreciated that they really wanted to, in case you weren't paying attention, we're going to throw the the catchphrase or the name at you a couple, a couple of times. Look, and listen, I want to preface this in in as kind of way as I can, but 20, 2015 got us a Fantastic Four movie. 2007 gave us a sequel to the 2005. This is the best Fantastic Four movie as created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby in the year of our Lord, 1961. As exists,
0: that's why I'm excited that you're on the show because you actually are a fan of Fantastic Four. So, a lot of the questions I have relate to this couldn't possibly have been part of the comic.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, let's let, we'll, we'll get to those questions. I think so. If you're not familiar with the Fantastic Four, first of all, shame on you. Uh, second of all, it's the longest running comic series, I think that was only you know, it, I say that it might have been surpassed by Bendis and Bailey on, uh, or Bagley, on Ultimate Spider-Man. But literally, this thing ran for hundreds of issues of Kirby and Stan Lee working together on, on the Fantastic Four, which was, you know, these four people went up to space, got bombarded by cosmic rays. When they got back to Earth, they found they had fantastic powers and it basically it went from there and it covered things like Mole Man and of course Doctor Doom who both kind of show up in this but Galactus, the Silver Surfer, Annihilus. I mean, it, it even gets Black Panther had his first appearance in the Fantastic Four. The Inhumans came out of the Fantastic Four. This they are called the first family of Marvel for a reason. And I got to tell you, this movie really you know I mean the special effects don't, but the rest of it actually does them a reasonable amount of justice way more than any of the other films did. It, it's kind of hilarious for that.
0: It actually, I think, to a fault, tries to cover as much of what they think a person who's a fan of the Fantastic Four would want in the first Fantastic Four movie.
1: I honestly don't consider that a fault.
0: <laughs> well, the homeless jewel thief, I think, was too It was too much. But we we'll are, talk so about we him.
1: We are going to get to that. We are going to get to that, and there's a reason why it was that and not what it should have been. But, well, let's jump in, right? So just okay. recapping the whole plot, right?
0: First, how if you had to describe it just in one sentence, the plot of this movie.
1: In one sentence. I did not prepare for that. Uh, all right. Um, one One sentence to describe. Four people get superpowers, take on the best comic book villain ever. Okay. That's what I got for you.
0: All right. So uh, before I get to my, my one sentence, I do want to say there are reviews for this movie on Rotten Tomatoes. It's at 33 percent. Now, this movie couldn't really be a flop because it was never released, but it did only cost one point five million dollars to produce. And when we talk about Roger Corman later, that is pretty standard for what Roger Corman does and you know has done throughout his career. He makes cheap movies to just get them out there. My one sentence to describe this movie is angry scientist from Latveria masquerades as a college student, gets electrocuted, nearly dies, but returns even angrier and decides to build a laser, murder a troop of homeless people and kidnap a blind woman.
1: I feel like that was more than one sentence, but none of that is wrong.
0: Might have been a run on, but <laughs> I think it encompasses <laughs> a lot of what went down here.
1: No, that, that's solid. So my just to set the stage, this thing opens on stock footage of space things, which I absolutely love. Like, it goes through, like, Pluto, and you hit, like, Jupiter and the big red spot, and then some reason it jumps back to Saturn, and then it goes into the Earth, and then finally you wind up in what has to be the best college professor I have ever heard. If I had any college professor as enthusiastic as this guy is about talking about the speed of light, I'd have gotten way better grades in college.
0: Uh, it should be noted that the professor, and that's his character title is just Professor. He has no name, is the caretaker of Punky Brewster. Punky. And also, probably more famously, Commandant Lassard from Police Academy. So, George Gaines, oh. who actually only died in 2016 at the ripe age of 98.
1: Ooh, poorly allowed for
0: him. Makes an appearance, yes. George Gaines, a legend.
1: Punky, Mr. Fantastic can't do that mr fantastic
0: he Um, really is into math like he's very excited
1: he's super excited they're talking about the speed of light and the one thing that isn't super clear is why is ben in this class so okay i guess we should give the character names right so the fantastic four are comprised of mr fantastic reed richards who is the scientist ben Grimm, the thing who is the muscle and reed's friend then you've got sue storm who is the invisible woman and johnny storm Uh, who is the human torch. And at this point, Reed and Ben are sitting in on a a lecture, and they're talking about the speed of light, first in feet per second and then in meters per second. And all the while, Reed and Doom are passing notes back and forth to one another. And I'm not saying there's some homosexual subtext between Reed and and Doom, but kind of. But kind of, especially when later, so they leave the the lecture hall and Doom does this thing where he like claws at the air toward Reed and almost makes like a grr face where I'm like, okay, that's that's a thing. I mean, given the push-pull they have, I can kind of see how that relationship, uh, yeah, all right, that's a way to interpret that.
0: I will say that the actor who portrayed Doom, uh, I forget his first name.
1: Joe Cope.
0: Joe Cole, he brings he brings a very interesting spin to this Doctor Doom and uh,
1: listen again not only is this the best Fantastic Four movie this is without a shadow of the doubt the best Doctor Doom
0: now yeah he
1: he seemed like a 60s
0: crazy. comic book villain
1: he, like, he is spectacular throughout he does a lot
0: of hand gestures he's very he fascist dictator with a, with a mouth of marbles because they wouldn't let him re-record his
1: lines. Oh, I mean, and, and that's the funny thing. You listen to this, the audio, you c- like, again, as a cosplayer, I can hear the the clack, 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 clack of the various parts of his costume when he gesticulates like that. And I'm just like, you really should have edited that out. That feels like a, it sounds like he's in a tin can. At any rate... They leave the lecture after we've introduced the fact that Reed knows the speed of light by heart and he's very smart and he's passing science notes to his not-boyfriend uh, enough to get Ben Grimm, his actual boyfriend, kind of kind of jealous. And we get introduced to uh, Justin and – and here's the other thing that's going to come up. The symphony that is associated with this film – is a is light years more than this film deserves. We're introduced to like a this reed note that it, it it comes across as sort of Eastern European. It's like the
0: do 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 do,
1: and it pulls in on two dudes who will show up again and again as Doom's henchmen. I don't think they're ever given names, and in my notes I just called them the Borises. Like we get introduced to them. Like this this movie lays the groundwork well in ahead of what you would expect anything this cheaply made to do, let alone something that was shot in literally three weeks.
0: A lot of it, uh, I was sort of casually paying attention, and I got very confused as to why one of the Borises would, who was masquerading as a doctor, would kidnap the corpse of Dr. Doom. Oh, yeah.
1: So we're going to get there. But uh. <laughs> yeah, so we have the lecture hall, they leave, we get introduced to the Borises very briefly, and then we have what I think of as... The biggest question I have as to why would you do this in this movie? I have another question as to why would you do this in this movie, but I have an answer to that. The question I have, the choice that they made, was we follow Reed and Ben back to where they live. They live at, I think it was Mrs. Storm's boarding house. Yeah, I was curious about that whole arrangement. A weird place for them to be living. Yeah, Mrs. Storm isn't Sue. Mrs. Storm is Sue's mom. Sue is there, uh, and Sue is, how old would you say, uh, 10?
0: See, that's where, yeah, that's where this movie uh, becomes a little troubling. It takes a bit
1: of a turn. Yeah, it really does.
0: She, You know, she's anywhere from 7 to 10.
1: Played by a young Mercedes McNabb, I might add. You You'll know her better as... Uh, the chick from Buffy, and she was also the antagonist in Adam's Family Values to Wednesday Adams. Oh, it was
0: that, nuts. Oh, she's a little shit from Summer her. Camp or yes, from not Summer Camp. I guess it was a Thanksgiving, but oh, yeah. she's awful.
1: And then, yeah, so that's Sue Storm, who is the invisible woman who Mr. Fantastic eventually marries. And, you know, there's nothing super untoward from the perspective of Reed. He you know, talks to her and she's nice. But at one point, point, Sue looks at him and goes, he's dreamy. All I can think is, this was a really weird choice to make. And then they, they, you also get introduced to Johnny, who's playing video games, which as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, like, I don't know when this is supposed to be set, but assuming it was even set, let's call it 10 years before it was supposed to be released. So if it was set in 1994, when it was released, This is supposed to be the 10 years prior prologue. So 84, no video games looked like that in 84. (laughs) You have Reed, or no, no, not Reed, sorry. You got Ben playing video games with Johnny. And it's this, uh, what what was it, base assault, right? Where they would shoot lasers down and you had the little turret and you would shoot bombs up and they would explode and the circle would, would envelop the laser, right? Except for whatever reason, they chose – I guess they couldn't license the rights to that video or that video game. So instead, it's this really cheaply animated loop that is still much better in graphics even for 1994 that they're playing, which I'm – like that took me out of it for a second, only to have that show up much later in the movie. So again – this thing lays groundwork like you wouldn't fucking believe.
0: It really does go out of its way to like try and set a lot of things up. And, and some of it is ridiculous. And it's like, why is this happening? But, you know, there's thought but it put pays into off. it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's a crazy thing. So, in, in any event, that's how we get introduced to Johnny and Sue. So, but as you were saying, you kind of get into this. Okay, so you knew this girl from the time she was. Let's be charitable, ten. Yeah. Let, let's say that you were. Let's say it's your. You're a. You're a entry level freshman student, Reed Richards. You are eighteen years old. You are living with this this woman and her children with your buddy in college, which I guess maybe was a thing in the eighties. I don't know. No, but, I don't think it was. but... Who, <laughs> Yeah. Well, as someone who knows the Fantastic Four, to be introduced to that relationship in that form when I already know that they're going to get married and have children in the form of Valeria Richards and, and Franklin Richards, it's a little squeaky. It's a little off-putting to go like, oh, you knew her as a child. Oh, that's called grooming, and that's super creepy, Mr. Fantastic I don't think you're that
0: fantastic. Anyway. Yeah, that's one of the large yeah. issues, is that he's a creeper. And Ben turns out to be a creeper, too. Uh, yeah,
1: and we'll get there. We'll get there. And, and yeah. Not Still not as bad as
0: Reed. He's not as bad as Reed, but he's certainly like, you know, there's a good chance that there'd be a restraining order put in place. Yeah, at least. Or, you know, someone yeah. would have to talk to him about being overly aggressive with just picking people up and shaking them.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, hang on. To, yeah, we're getting there. Oh, man.
0: One of my questions was, what the hell is Colossus? And I, I eventually figured it out, okay. but I still didn't know what they were trying to do. So.
1: <laughs> Wait, you figured it out. So I feel like my answer to Colossus is the same reason we got the jeweler, not the mole man. There's no reason Colossus should have been anything but Galactus. What, what was the answer uh, to Colossus? Was okay, it so, like a comet well, or something?
0: It was a comet, yeah. But... Um, it wasn't exactly clear what they were doing with the comet. And that is also sort of lost in the hole when they are doing this experiment and there's clearly no safety parameters put in place. Yeah, and Victor so gets guess, electrocuted scene, for though. 35 seconds.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, so set the scene. So there, there's an event that they're talking about. It's called Colossus. Reed and Victor are going to do this thing. And even the professor, you know, punky. Hunky, we're going to have a comet, mentions this thing, and it's this big event. So they're conducting some experiment, and it's Colossus, whatever it is. What? It is a comet? What is it?
0: Yeah, they're trying to harness the power of the comet. I guess they knew. Now, this is just me. This is theoretically. It had transformative powers, obviously, since okay. they have these things. But So Victor was wanted to become really powerful by channeling this to himself okay uh so you know of course later then he wants to rip it away from them and give it to himself as well so
1: which is which is brilliant
0: which Which i think is
1: solid doom motivation
0: i think that's his exact same plan from the one with michael Chickless. is not he trying to convince them to get rid of their powers so that he can have them
1: no 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 so in the Chickless one he convinces Uh, He convinces Chiklis to get rid of his powers because there's no way the Fantastic Four can fight Doom without Chiklis.
0: Without the guy who was literally incapable of doing anything throughout the entire film besides sitting on a bridge crying.
1: (laughs) Again, there's a reason that this, the 1994 Fantastic Four film, is the best Fantastic Four film. And it's not because the other ones were very good at all. but anyway, they have they they do the experiment, and as you say, Doom Doom has a bad time of it. <laughs>
0: it's a it's a long death scene, to say the least. Though like, it
1: should be noted, Ben shows up, Ben is the one that saves Doom. Yeah. He jumps in there, he knocks him out of the whatever the electric. Which, again, this is one example of they got the characterization right. Ben is a is a big dude with a heart of gold who would just help people because he's a nice guy. So they kind of, like, even though historically Ben and Doom have this antagonistic relationship where they don't really like each other, he's still willing to, like, I mean, realistically put his life on the line to make sure that this random douchebag he doesn't like, but his friend does, gets saved.
0: He, he's getting electrocuted for so long that he Ben really actually... Is. Runs across the quad up to the laboratory <laughs> and then across the room to get him. He must have had to go like I don't know 150 yards to get uh, to, to, to be this. Fair, thing.
1: This Ben is super jacked for, for no apparent reason. Michael Bailey Smith was working out in 1994 or three, well, whatever the you was know. I,
0: I read about him, he was a collegiate football player and he hurt his uh, knee and had to retire. And then randomly went to a, a movie you know, casting casting call, got cast, and then became an actor. But he was an amateur bodybuilder after he played college football. Well, He's go. actually probably the best, the most well cast Ben Grimm, considering what we got I mean, later on.
1: Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, not to take away from Chicklis because I feel like he did a good job too. But this this thing like, again, it, you know what? I didn't like this Johnny. Everybody else though, everybody else did a fine job.
0: Bug from Uncle Buck was a little over the top.
1: Yeah, not so good. He was really, yeah, and I'm I'm not trying to shit on anybody's life, but it, it, trying. To, who was that? That was Jay Underwood or whatever.
0: Jay Underwood. Jay, yeah,
1: Yeah, Jay. Probably a little better direction. I'd have pulled it back a little, but whatever. You know. So in any case,
0: Victor I think what, is... what was unfortunate for poor Jay was his character really required the most effects. Oh and, yeah, and they're just abysmal.
1: We'll get there. They are yeah. they are abysmal. But in any case, Ben stops Doom. I, I was I was a little annoyed that so Ben wrestles Doom away from the electricity, and Reed is like, "How is he?" And Ben just gives this shake of the head, and I'm like, "How the fuck do you know?" Yeah, yeah well. call a doctor. Like. Do something. You just tackled him out of the electricity. I mean, you're just going to sh- yeah, he's gone, man. Uh, call 911.
0: I mean, it, Reed should have known after watching him get shot in the chest with a, with a lightning bolt for 58 seconds that <laughs> it wasn't looking good for him.
1: It, it does beg the question, Reed. What were you just like, wow, look at that go. I really thought it would be done by now, but here we are.
0: Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. T- t- turn off the power. I <laughs>
1: Some, something, right? They, they had to, like... This weird structure is what it's all shooting lightning through. It's strange. Uh, but in any case, they immediately cut to the hospital scene where, where Ben is getting patched up. And if you weren't paying attention to the... The... I don't... The Reed music, the... The Eastern European music before. Now one of the Borises shows up as the doctor to effectively say, yes, he's gone. He's gone, that's all. Thank you. Goodbye.
0: Which is leads to one of the better lines in the movie. Reed goes, where are you taking him? And he just looks at him gravely and says, to the morgue.
1: <laughs> where do you take bodies? Where else would you take bodies? The morgue, right? Yes. Again, to the film's credit, all of that does seem weird. And then we get the shot of from inside the body bag the zipper comes down you look out onto the borises and they do they do something to the effect of my liege we are here to take you away bring you back home make everything okay because at this point it gets revealed that victor who at this point has not been said to be von doom but if you know victor there's only one victor it could be is actually the leader of a small country in Eastern Europe known as Latveria. So they speared him away and we're we're just meant to, okay, that's done. And then we get the 10 years later card because the other part of this is Colossus comes by Earth once every 10 years for whatever reason. I mean, orbit, presumably, but...
0: It seems like a, a fake timeline for a comet. Right? I, I think... mean,
1: Halley's Comet comes by once every 75 years. I'm not really yeah. sure... That's Every a really years, quick turnaround. It feels like, you know, that would have hit Earth, but whatever.
0: One of my big pet peeves is there's a lot of bad transitions in this movie, mm. including a just spinning thing head after he, <laughs> like, he has like no, this no. depressing jaunt through the streets. And yeah, there's one where up. like the, the four comes at the screen, but there's literally no transition to tell you it's been 10 years.
1: No, there's a the title card. It goes ten years later. Oh, okay, I must have missed it. Yeah,
0: but it's like it's and like nothing's it like... changed.
1: <laughs> no, to actually, Reed to be looks fair. exactly
0: the same. No, except they, they gave him the gray hair. hair. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> oh man, and it's bad too. Like, it, so I I don't know what they did there. As a cosplayer, I can tell you, like, the technology in '94 isn't the same as now. But now you've got like the spray and dye. You've got like the 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 wax that'll give your hair color it looks like they just took peroxide to the side of so the the guy who plays Reed Richards is Alex Hyde-White they took it just to the temple of this dude's hair not not the sideburn the sideburn is there the sideburn is not gray it's just this these two white streaks on the side of his head for no apparent reason whatsoever. Uh, and, and that that were meant to intuit, oh, he's aged.
0: Yeah, it it, it really didn't seem necessary.
1: <laughs> oh, and, and then you get the, the, Reed says some science words about what's happening. And then you get the line, all we need is a crew.
0: <laughs> and... Yeah, and, and I have a serious issue with how they choose the crew. Uh, because <laughs> you, they're you know just essentially...
1: Let's get the literal children we lived with in college.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, neither of these kids go to go to go to college or are trained, but they know this project because you talk about it a lot over dinner, like <laughs> over split peas and mashed potatoes. You talk all about how you're going to space to uh, get the energy of a comet. So we should just bring them. <laughs> what do you think?
1: I mean, being charitable, let's assume that Sue was ten and Johnny was eight. That makes them 20 and 18. Johnny could have like half a year of college. Sue could have maybe two. There's a possibility that they might be studying. But then the the best part is is the thing's introduction to getting the rest of the crew, which is to knock on the door, have Mrs. Storm, the, their mother, answer the door and have Ben say, Mrs. Storm can can Johnny and Sue go to space with us? And I'm yeah. like, what? why did you make this decision? What was the, like, it, it, did you really need Reed to be that much older than them? Or what? <laughs>
0: yeah. It. They could have just been like a little bit younger because <laughs> when they show up and then he's like, well, they know this project so well, we got to take them. And then he sees Sue. It's clear. Oh. He apparently hasn't seen her. In ten years.
1: He sees Sue and it's like, Never mind, my dick says we should go to space.
0: Oh, of course we should bring her because (laughs) Now I'm in love with her because everybody falls in love with this movie in fifteen seconds or less. (laughs)
1: Oh. Oh, and then and then we're treated to our first Oh, they said the they said the name of the movie in the movie. Mrs. Storm calls them look at you, the Fantastic Four. I I mean Maybe I can buy that at some point during the, 5 let's call it, four years that <laughs> Reed and Ben lived with them, that came up. But that would that would seem to indicate that Reed and Ben powed around with the 10- and the 8-year-old, which just seems weird.
0: You know, based on the outcome of the mission, she might have wanted to hold the compliment until they got home.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Because it, it again, doesn't
0: go well.
1: I see. It's still the best Fantastic Four movie. I I think it still fits. Listen, I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying, given what I've seen, the best option.
0: Well, name aside, I mean, they go up there. They don't do a systems check, which is sort of Reed's thing. You know, like, well, whatever happens, happens now. Uh, And it fails because of The Jeweler. Who is supposed oh, to be the mole man?
1: Here we go. Yes. Ian Trigger. So, Ian Trigger e- is the jeweler who, so painfully obviously, was meant to be the mole man. And I actually yeah. know why that is. Do you know
0: why he was supposed to be the mole man or why no, he, wasn't, why the mole he mole wasn't the mole man? Because they said that's in the documentary about rights issues and yeah. they, they had written him as the mole man and then they're like, well, we'll just. It's like I don't know. Maybe don't have them live underground anymore.
1: <laughs> so, if you're again, if you're not familiar with Fantastic Four, the Mole Man is one of the really iconic villains of the Fantastic Four. It it might go Doom, Galactus, and then either Annihilus or Mole Man. And Mole Man's whole shtick is that he lives underground with all these mutants because the the upper surface rejected him because. Basically, he's got a big nose and he's got poor eyesight. On really, it was like 1961. What he won, uh, <laughs> but they clearly written this character to be the mole man, only to find out, oh, you can't use the mole man, so they just they just call him the jeweler and retain basically everything else. He, instead of he... having like the the mole glasses, he's yeah, got like a uh um, it's I'd call it a loop. You know the thing that jewelers look at jewels with but instead it's it's more like a microscope on his eye and that's about it
0: (laughs) and so a lot of his characteristics because he's not the mole man end up making literally zero sense because he's just the mole man but not really so it's all you know he lives down there and he feels rejected and he has these this these people around him so I mean, maybe they'd take another pass at the script if he's just going to be Sean Connery from Entrapment or whatever that movie was. With <laughs> I, I honestly, Catherine I treated him, Jones.
1: I treated him as human splinter. He's got a bunch of mutants that live in the sewer. He's got a set of skills. Though again, anyone who is that good, of, like presumably as the jeweler, he at least deals in jewels, which, on their face, generally have a lot of money. So he's either living in the sewer because he wants to or he's living in the sewer because he's giving all his money to the sewer people he lives with, which might actually make him the good guy of the movie, right until the rape, at which point, oh, wait, no, he's actually the bad guy again.
0: He's really one of the dumbest jewel thieves on Earth because he steals this diamond that is of ludicrous size and value.
1: Oh, wait, yeah. So we should back up. Because it it for whatever reason it goes to the jeweler, who then sees which we don't know her as Alicia Masters at this point, right? She's just some random woman, uh, as played she, by yeah. one Kat Green, who I don't think has done literally anything, at least from an acting perspective, other than this film.
0: She's done some soundtracks. I, I looked it up. Uh, uh, there you go. So not a lot of acting, but she's been on different. Uh, she's done the music for different movies.
1: So they're going up to they, the Fantastic Four, as they have been called by Mrs. Storm, are going up to the lab where they're keeping this diamond, and Ben bumps into <laughs> Alicia Masters, and like manhandles her basically, right?
0: Yeah, he. She's very upset that she's dropped her uh, sculpture. Yeah. He doesn't care about that in the slightest. He then just picks her up, Bottled. like shakes her like <laughs> like a madman, like Lenny from a mice and men.
1: Uh t- and, t- t- tell me and about with- the cosmic rays, George. Tell me about the cosmic rays. Yeah.
0: And within fifteen seconds she's in love with she's in love with him.
1: Oh, they do the face touch though. So he gets she gets to feel Michael Bailey Smith's face and they're like this is a handsome man. All right, that's gonna come up later. All right.
0: Yep, yeah, and so to, like not only she in love with him, she's having like perverse thoughts about him as she's molding other sculptures.
1: Uh, and, that, and that comes up later. So they they go up to the they go up to the lab. Reed says some science stuff, and they they do the, and that's where you get introduced to the diamond or whatever which is why ostensibly the jeweler is there i guess rather than just creeping on the the pretty blind lady who i guess we should say alicia masters is famously the thing's blind girlfriend they actually just got married this year in the comics it was was a very touching scene uh they, they broke the glass it was lovely but so reed says the science stuff here's the jewel and for for whatever reason, this is all meant to be the Baxter building, which is the Fantastic Four's base of operations. They the Fantastic Four leave the room where the diamond is stored, they turn on the security system, which is just a bunch of lasers for whatever a bunch of green lasers for whatever reason. And then we are treated to what I think is the silliest part of this film, which includes a man. That is an anthropomorphic rock monster.
0: Is that is that the jeweler uh, doing like uh, the the hopscotch across the lasers that are very sparsely populating the room to the that point is where... the
1: that is the jeweler doing the river dance across the lasers. Oh I my mean, god! It is. It, uh, go ahead.
0: Now keep in mind, this is the one thing that they need. To make sure this mission doesn't end in in catastrophe. And they guard it with lasers that only go up to the ankle and are literally probably <laughs> six to seven feet apart. Enough so that the jeweler, who's only about four foot ten, can river dance his way <laughs> to the to the case and get away with with the diamond.
1: And he does. But to his credit, he replaces it with another diamond because he's slick. A fake diamond.
0: Now, I saw the jeweler's hideout. I'm curious where he got the supplies to make the, the replica diamond. Because he does like the Indiana Jones from Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark, where he like swaps the one diamond and replaces it. But it looks exactly the same. Enough so that it fools Reed Richards, who, again, he's not much of a scientist.
1: <laughs> he... Uh, he is the best scientist, sir. He can he can man Colossus or whatever.
0: Because when the shit hits the fan, he literally goes, "That's not the diamond." It's like maybe you should check that.
1: I don't know. <laughs> I, f- I feel like that at a bare minimum. You'd wanna. That's part of the checks. Yeah. Uh. So anyway, that is what happens. And at that point, we're treated to a bunch of stock footage of thrusters from NASA, and it's like, "Up, the ship is off." Uh, again. So. Best Doom ever. Before all this happens, it cuts to the fact that Doom is monitoring the situation, sees that the jeweler steals the diamond and goes, well, I don't have to kill them now. I can just watch and see what happens, which is the most Doom thing ever. He's, plan- he's got multiple contingencies, and he's like, you know what? This will still accomplish my, uh, my goals. We'll-, we'll just go with it. And, and they do.
0: Doom actually does he plays it he plays it smart a few times in the movie, and that's one of them. Yeah. Where uh, Michael Flatley uh, <laughs> from the soar, sore Flatley steals the jewel for him. So instead of exposing himself and having his uh, two goonish buddies the go in there, you know, he lets the jeweler handle that. And then yeah. uh, later he gives the jeweler a chance to just give him the diamond before just committing hobo genocide.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Uh, but again, so Doom, Doom does the Doom thing. He's like, oh, well, that's the jeweler? Like, for, somehow, Doom has got, actually not somehow, Doom is a genius scientist and a goddamn wizard. So he's got the, the oh, this is the jeweler. He's got the facial recognition technology immediately to know who the jeweler is and who his accomplices are. So he's like, you know what? All right, we're just going to let this slide. And then we're treated to the NASA stock footage of, you know, the, the, the shuttle rockets thrusting and they go up into space and they're bombarded by cosmic rays. And then it turns out, oh, the, the diamond is not the right diamond. And then that's when it goes to shit.
0: Yeah, of course, they crash and they're all Which OK. Which is not
1: shown. Which is not shown, which is amazing to me. We do get intercut of Doom watching whatever is happening, and the evil laugh of "Goodbye, Doctor Richards!" But we never actually see the shuttle crash. We just see like, and, and again, I think I feel like this is owed to the Corman-esque <laughs> price price that this movie was shot at. But you just get like, it's it's pieces of like old airline <laughs> like you get like a row of seats like you'd find on an airplane from 1973 i they, think
0: yeah they went to a junkyard and they said hey uh what kind of metal you got
1: yeah something from a plane literally anything yeah. or a plane we'll take it
0: i need an engine that's extremely tiny and probably <laughs> couldn't power a spaceship but please give that to us
1: you don't even see the crash it just cuts to the hill where all this crap is strewn about, and uh, is it Did they focus on Ben or Reed first? I don't remember, but I can't.
0: Re- I think, well, no, I think Ben is running down the hill and uh, they you know, they end up fighting each other, and of course, that's when we the first power we see is the invisible woman, which I'm not <laughs> sure how they shot that.
1: <laughs> I, but... I guarantee you, it was literally Rebecca Stab, the woman who plays in Sue Storm, just dropped out of frame. I'm right here, she said, from literally under the camera. I think
0: that's even what she says is like (laughs) how she shot a lot of it. Where she'd be like, okay, and then I would duck.
1: (laughs) Oh, and then we get Reed's power. We get Reed's power. Once she's revealed, everybody freaks out because she was invisible. And he stretches out and grabs her right before she falls backwards onto some really sharp debris for whatever reason because i guess reed saving her life with those stretchy powers who who knows
0: yeah it didn't seem like the fall was going to really matter that much
1: yeah but here we go
0: and also he could have like i don't know stepped forward but he literally just stands in place and just like it was like (laughs) the most half-hearted attempt to save this woman that he (laughs) just fell in love with (laughs) Any other but,
1: situation, she gets impaled, but she's she, yeah. standing like, oh, no, wait. Oh, my arm stretch. Okay, I guess yeah. you're
0: good. Turns out, like, he's got the rubber arms. But really, it looked like, oh, man, she's crazy. After this space trip, I've had enough of her. I can't uh, deal with this anymore. I should never have <laughs> with her.
1: I will say that at this point, we do get one of the one of a couple call-outs. So I think the first one we had it was the, why are we – can can Sue and Johnny come out and play in the spaceship? <laughs> yeah. uh, we We get our second one, which is, why are we all still alive? The shuttle is in all these pieces, but we're all together. What? And that doesn't get answered to be clear, but they ask that question at least to sort of lower your <laughs> your barrier of disbelief. Uh, I and, mean... oh, and then then we get Johnny's reveal, which is a fire sneeze
0: yeah he lights the bush on fire.
1: he sneezes and lights the bush on fire. That should be clear. which have you ever sneezed and just had a fire happen? Would you have thought you were the cause of that fire?
0: You know, considering that they were standing amongst like several things fiery you know fiery pieces of wreck, and there's probably gasoline <laughs> around the assumption that it was just him, I thought was a bit <laughs>
1: like oh, look <laughs> right. what I did
0: it's like i don't Did know you there's do like that, johnny there's crap everywhere
1: <laughs> it truly it truly was spectacular to the point where i started to question johnny's sanity especially when he starts to hand drive his anxiety where he's like uh, uh, was that me was that me i'm like "Ooh, we should put him he needs a sedative or at least a I beer." A... which uh yeah. <laughs>
0: I have a feeling that was actually how Chris Evans behaved while he was on set of the two thousand five Fantastic Four. Like what the hell am I doing here? What is going on?
1: Was that before or after push? That was that was pre push.
0: I think it was I think I think push was after.
1: And push was after.
0: He he really lucked out by getting Captain America. Which he, obviously he's a fantastic Captain America, but he wasn't setting the world on
1: fire. No, not at that time. That really. though. then we get to the point where I I feel like it it helps to set the time maybe that – so they crash land in what appears to be, to me, like Ireland. It's rolling hills. It's green. There's a tree. I think I saw a fence, right? But they're like, no one knows where we are, and I guess we've got to hang out here until someone comes for us.
0: Yeah, they're literally in the middle of a field. And they're like, oh, no one's going to know where we're at. And it's like, pretty sure everybody saw that thing crash. It's probably being tracked, for one.
1: And it is.
0: Yeah. But not by NASA. Yeah, But by but not, doom. Not by the morons who gave Dr. Reed Richards more money to blow something else up.
1: <laughs> uh, but, But again, this is another example of Doom, knowing what he's doing and being genius about it, he sends the Borises to show up as uh, it. They show up as the American military, right? And they yeah. Say, that's you know,
0: uh, I mean that that looks like what it would be. That's why I assume they were in Latveria. Because I it's possible, but who knows? If he can if he can mobilize that sort of force, I mean, it's very impressive for a guy Again, who had. a... You know, I feel like
1: you're missing the point that Doom is a goddamn wizard. He can manifest anything he wants wherever he wants.
0: Yeah, I mean that's fair. That's fair. He's he's got a you know he's got a very mobile military, probably an air force for all I know. At he's least, got a whole uh, clan of people painted silver with sunglasses on.
1: Oh, all the almost Doom bots.
0: Like straight out of like a Talking Heads video, the Doom
1: bots. <laughs> But either way, at this point, we don't know it, which which is one of the the cooler turns that the movie, I think, takes is you. You actually do believe, oh, the American military is here and Reed and Sue and Johnny are right there. And oh, okay it's us. Their hands are up. Oh, you're here to save us. And then out of fucking nowhere, thing shows up. Not Ben, not Ben. The thing, the full on rock suited latex, whatever that is. Shows up and the military guys, I think, kind of rightly freak out. But we, as the audience at this point, have had no indication that this is what Ben has become. There's no like, ah, I've become the thing. It's just literally, he's like, hey guys, what's up? And it's the thing. And to it, his credit, Reed Richards immediately knows that that's Ben. He's like, oh, this is this, stop, stop. This is my friend Ben.
0: Don't shoot him. I know he's shrunk six inches. But that's Ben
1: <laughs> oh man so that that definitely comes up in the uh, in the, the the documentary but that it it is the size difference is noticeable <laughs> it's
0: it's quite pronounced especially when he turns back into uh, Ben at one point because the power <laughs> of love the power of love heals all oh, things including uh, rock really formations does. and he like oh. has to be hunched over. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh it, it's not good but the in, thing in was case, not
0: hunched over but ben is very much so
1: yes <laughs> so at that point they leave with the military assuming everything is fine and we cut to alicia who is uh, i guess been so alicia is fame again, uh, famously a, a sculptor she's a blind sculptor so she is working on the head of Ben Grimm as as she felt his face in that manhandling she had, and it, it, it I mean the the sculpture she's putting together is very clearly meant to be the face of Michael Bailey Smith, but she starts to have what I would call erotic feelings toward the sculpture
0: she she sells it pretty hard hardcore like at, like, at one point she, I, she, I think she, she, she like touches her lips softly
1: she's just shy of sucking on her fingers and we're about to find out that the reason she's able to finance her whole sculpture thing is she's got a very strong etsy store for various rock flavored dildos i mean that's where the, we're at with this
0: the weirdest homage to Lionel Richie's hello video i've ever seen <laughs>
1: It is a little jarring that they were like, "Ooh, maybe, maybe dial that back." I don't know. And then some random delivery guy shows up with a couple extra heads. Th- this part kind of confused. I assume those heads are meant to be for the rest of the four. That she's the one who's been responsible for creating the memorial statue for, or whatever. I guess, but
0: it's I, I wasn't. I wasn't clear on that, and why that the heads came pre-sculpted.
1: Yeah, it, it was it it was a little weird. And of and course, we... uh, she's
0: uh, she's unaware of this, but Michael Flatley is uh, up on the rooftop, doing doing a few steps, watching her.
1: <laughs> Give and then later gives a sermon to his. Uh, look, it's the mole people. It's not the mole man. It's the, he gives a sermon to his sewer people. That ah, she will be my queen, which is actually <laughs> something the mole man totally did. Which is why it's it's so very obviously the mole man. Like, not only did the mole man do that, he very specifically did that with Alicia Masters. So you're kind of like, oh, okay, well, fair enough. They kidnapped them a blind lady, and yeah. they have knockout gas, which was really it, the big question for me.
0: And what you're,
1: you're you live underground? Of, yeah, yeah, but you've got knockout, like a, a spray can of knockout gas.
0: They have the knockout gas they've got a lot of firepower. Uh, that scene is as close to a scene that was cut from troll 2 as one could possibly be as this homeless troop of people like sort of surrounds her like like laughing ominously and like pawing at her and she's like leave me alone <laughs> And then they carry her off like life her lifeless body off through the front door. <laughs> so nobody in the building I, I guess noticed.
1: Yeah, so again, 1994 Roger Corman production, you you got to relax your uh, suspension of disbelief somewhat to get through this. Uh, I will say that at least one of the henchmen, who I call Flower henceforth, does sneak a flower and then is seen to sniff that flower a lot throughout the rest of the film. Uh, So, you know, I appreciate the character work that's trying to happen there, but I, I don't know. And I think then that takes us to the, what I think of as the most Corman-esque of the whole movie, which is the doctor interviews the Fantastic fool.
0: Yeah, I would say that's pretty spot on because it is just shamefully corny. You know, it, between a, the, the thing yeah. falling through a chair, <laughs> uh, the doctor really not having a firm understanding of how fire works. He's, like, baffled. Like,
1: oh, my God! Ew, what, do you, uh.
0: what do you mean, fire? Like, fire, dude. I, I can light things on fire. Oh, what, what does that mean?
1: <laughs> like, Stabbing yeah, what,
0: himself with the needle.
1: Oh, oh when he's interviewing Sue. He, so He's so freaked out. So, I think at this point, he's interviewed Ben and Johnny, who have both... Ben has... So, the thing has, as you said, crushed a stool... Johnny has lit himself on fire and said the catchphrase, flame on, flame off, only to go to Sue, who disappears. And for whatever reason, that's enough for him to, to be startled to jab his own hand with the hypodermic needle that I, he's using to ostensibly draw blood.
0: I think that was their first warning that he wasn't a real doctor, the fact that he was <laughs> holding the needle facing himself, and yeah. when surprised, immediately stabbed himself.
1: Which again, we don't as the audience, we're just supposed to treat this as this doc is freaked out. It's only later we find out he's not actually a doctor, which I really liked. Of the turns this movie could take, that's one of the sharper, smarter ones. But like, and then then he has, obviously Reed Richards has his first, or I guess second stretchy thing. He's like, Dr. Richards, you don't you're not made of stone or catch fire or turn invisible. And he's like, no, well, can you take your own blood? And he's like, yes. And he like does the stretchy thing to to take the the syringe away from the doctor who is six feet away. So instead of just like kind of leaning forward, he just does the the arm stretch. And you're like, and we're cool with that. Okay, Again, all right. It's
0: it's pretty clear that Reed Richards, now that he has these powers, will quickly become the laziest person on earth. He he does everything he can not to move throughout the rest of the film.
1: Listen, I, not for nothing, if I had those powers, I would be called Mr. Fantastic for exactly that reason. What are you doing? As little as possible, but still enough.
0: That scene actually reminds me of the catchphrase they put on the poster, which is part muscle, part <laughs> elastic, part fire, <laughs> part invisible. Together, it's clobbering
1: time part muscle. Yeah,
0: I thought that was an interesting choice of words. He's
1: made of rock! Also, it's at this point in the story that I should probably go, the Fantastic Four is very obviously based on the four classical elements. Earth, fire, wind, water. That's what they are, right? The thing who is made of rock and is super strong is earth. Fire is the human torch. Reed Richards, who can stretch and bend and shape however he wants to and flow, is water. And Sue, who can turn invisible and create force fields, is air. Yet, for some reason, they're opting for literally the most surface-level version of this, which is, "Uh, that guy's strong, and I guess that guy catches fire, and she's invisible, and that guy's stretchy, so uh yeah, elastic muscle, fire, invisible. We're good. Th- that's that's where they stumble for me on this being the best possible Fantastic Four film.
0: I think it's great as defense. Now I don't if this is part of the comics, it's it's they probably should have rethought it, but when Reed's like, Oh, of course, this makes perfect sense. I'm oh, always
1: wait.
0: I'm always bending and going out of my way, stretching no. myself thin. And no, Sue, that, that. you hide in people's closets, and
1: oh, that that angers me because it, that's again that's the exact opposite of what it's supposed to be. In 1961, you think about the tropes that are associated with the Fantastic Four, and they're meant to be the opposite, right? Reed Richards is the stick up his ass, Potter Familius, I am the I I am Father Knows Best, and it's going to be this and blah blah blah, and and he's as rigid as possible. Oh, but he gets the powers where he's the most flexible, and and he has to learn to stretch, and that's the use of his powers. And Sue Storm is the put-upon doormat wife, like the standard 1960s June Cleaver, I'm just going to accept whatever comes my way, and, and she fades into the background when... You know that really gets explored. She's got she's she's arguably the most powerful of the Fantastic Four, where she can make you know your retina's invisible so you're blind, and she can force you know force fields in your brain to immediately kill you, right? So she's really incredibly powerful. And then you've got the Thing, who externally is this big rock monster, but really he's broken up about the fact that he is a monster. Like, you know, he outwardly he's a monster, but inside he's still Ben Grimm, the the football well liked person, and it, it messes him up. And then, I mean, Johnny is kind of Johnny. It, that, that that doesn't so much subvert anything as much as it is, oh, it's this hot headed kid who's got fire powers, and he has to learn that the fire powers can either be used to create or destroy. But when they did that lampshade hanging, that drove me nuts because I was like, no, 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 you, you all are supposed to meant. You all are meant to be a subversion of your powers. That's why it's interesting, again, from a 60s perspective. You do that now, and yeah, it is very much, you know, I've got to flex, and you've got to be more than invisible. But from when it was created, they were meant to be this, you know, hey, they're more than their powers, and they're, in fact, the opposite of their powers, which bugged me. But sorry, we're, we're getting way, way fucking off.
0: Well, see, that makes more sense just in your explanation than the movie really even attempts. So that that's but, helpful.
1: But, <laughs> Although but ben, from a 90s reading, that makes sense. I get yeah. why they, they went with that. But the problem is that's, <laughs> that, that's the opposite of the intent.
0: Ben Grimm is always, I think, he's probably the most universally true to form that they've done yeah. in all the movies. I think he's because he's the easiest to do. Yeah, you know, like he—he's—he's he's a big, tough, gruff guy, but he's a softie, and you know he becomes a pariah. Like he, he yeah. can't stand the sight of himself. And I don't really remember what they did with him in 2015, other than he was like a government hitman.
1: And he had no dick.
0: That the less said about that movie, the better.
1: <laughs> I I just that was the biggest thing for me. They didn't give him the shorts, and I'm like. Look, we had a whole mole rats thing where we talked about the things Dork being made out of orange rock. You, you just kind of laid it on out there. No, no dick. Yeah. The, all right. Weird. The rock
0: thing was just bizarre because in, in that one because you couldn't even really tell what he was.
1: Yeah. Again, it was, the less said about that movie. Yeah. The
0: better. Okay. So let's 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 get. Ju- Jumping through the, yeah. the last bit of this movie so we can get the into sort of... Bit.
1: we're like halfway through. I know. So now, we... now we're at Castle Doom, right? We get the establishing shot and then we get the motivation that Doom wants the powers of the Fantastic Four, which again is super on point for Doom. So I'm cool with that.
0: Doom makes some un, very Undoom-like maneuvers late in this movie, like where he's that like, I fair. would I wouldn't sully my hands with killing you. Let me send in this group of dweebs wearing sunglasses at night. And then they immediately just get destroyed. And then he comes in and he's like, what happened? <laughs> it's like, Do- were you watching Doom is
1: uncharacteristically forgiving of the Borises when they fuck up. But that's okay. I think he takes uh, out
0: all his frustrations on the homeless circus group.
1: He really... He. I, I feel like they got an unfair shake but again, they did kidnap a blind woman to ostensibly be the queen of their leader who is super creepy. So uh, maybe they, they're they're kind of culpable, so it's fine.
0: I think there should have been a mutiny when he had a diamond worth $100 billion. And he's like, I'm just going to give it to this woman who I've never <laughs> met. You know, be like, you know, maybe we should talk about this. Because honestly, we're living down here in a We all have like 13-inch TV's. None of us have bathed in probably five to ten years. You know, we I could eat a steak. I could like go to a restaurant. You know, I could do some stuff. Why don't we sell the diamond?
1: Bare minimum. Let's get like you know a nice a nice house that we can stay at where we can all at least you know we can bunk up. But there's a hot shower. You know.
0: They literally probably could have bought uh, uh, Mrs. Storm's orphanage and moved in there. She had no kids left. <laughs> they're all gone. <laughs> and,
1: and they're super mutants, too, so it's probably fine. The house is spacious.
0: Uh, we know that.
1: Yeah, and she's accommodating. Again, and she apparently doesn't care if the boarders make off with her children, so...
0: <laughs> she was very casual about that.
1: Yeah, a little bit. Uh, so, uh, So at this point, now we get the reveal though that you know we're keep there that whoever is keeping the Fantastic Four where they're at is due to the fear of them being contagious. Which again, super smart, actually. Yeah, you guys have the all these weird things that happen to you. You're staying in here because we're worried that something could happen. And it's at that point they they start to feel like something's gone funky. Like maybe maybe everybody who's here isn't on the up and up you know but we as an audience aren't aren't treated to very much of that other than their suspicions which for me is still the strongest turn of the piece where they realize oh wait no this isn't these aren't real authorities this is someone trying to keep us in and i think then it it, it intercuts and this is where the movie sort of suffers a little bit because it's trying to merge a couple narratives They jump to the Borises, who I think we were talking about before, who show up and go, you must give us a diamond because at least the diamond or whatever is going to be the thing that lets Doctor Doom take the powers of the Fantastic Four to channel their Colossus mutations into him.
0: Which means that the comet is coming back again, this time in three and a half days.
1: No, right? That that wasn't a thing. Was that a thing? Oh, my God.
0: I don't know, but he's still talking about how, like, you, guys, you weren't meant to harness Colossus. It's mine.
1: Well, I mean, that's fair, because that was back in college. They were meant to harness Colossus. He was the one that, you know, thought he knew all the answers and didn't get it. But I guess ultimately, the Michael Flatley lord of the... The homeless people decides, no, I'm not gonna sell you the diamond because it's gotta go to my blind bride. God, that's uncomfortable. Ugh, this this homeless woman I, or this no, she's not homeless. This blind woman I've kidnapped. I'm gonna make my wife and she needs this diamond, so I'm not gonna sell it. So they go back to Doom and go, hey, he's not gonna sell it to us. And again, Doom, super like forgiving of the Boruses goes all right, cool, well, I'm going to go take it. Yeah, let me just prep
0: my strike team.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, that gives Doom, like, the excuse to be out of the place while the Fantastic Four mount their escape, which is what happens next. They realize that, hey, everything's not on the up and up, so they this is the first of the Thing spinnies that I recall where somebody comes in to see the Thing, and the Thing's like, hey, fellas, I guess it's going to get rough. And the thing's head spins, and the next thing you see, everybody's knocked out that that came to bother the thing, right? And the fantastic four that minus the thing take the the hazmat suits that they're wearing to go invade Castle Doom,
0: yeah. this is before they have their official suits, which yes exactly uh, oddly enough, Reed gets married in
1: uh, <laughs> I, I've got questions about that.
0: Like why are you why are you getting married in this suit?
1: Super fit. Fa- I mean it it is a nice. Your wife did make that. Your wife did make that.
0: Anyway,
1: I will she, say that in, in record the...
0: time she made that thing.
1: Listen, I can tell you that if Selena Kyle can have a mental breakdown and make a costume in one night, there's no reason that Sue Storm can't slap together four of the same costume. Realistically, three of the same costume and a pair of shorts in the afternoon well,
0: she had a, she had a sewing machine so
1: exactly well, we don't know what
0: did. sue storm was working with maybe mm-hmm. she went back to the uh to the group home it was like hey i need you to whip us up some suits
1: it was 1994 and reed richard's text Who might have had a 3d printer you don't know
0: well i do know because every computer in this movie they must have got like <laughs> secondhand because you
1: know, oh, second is being generous. Third or <laughs> they shot
0: it is... in ninety two, but these computers are from the 70s <laughs> Yeah. Oh, oh. Uh, so
1: I did love. Point... I mean, oh, okay. I
0: loved how they They talk about in the documentary how much shit they repurposed for this movie. Oh,
1: uh-huh, and it's brutal. Oh, we got
0: these spacesuits, and then you know we use this for this, and the studio they were in was condemned by the fire marshal. <laughs>
1: Oh, there were rats. We're we're gonna get there. So at this point they've snuck out, they've got the hazmat suits on. I think at this point, the, the big win for me is Sue knocks a motherfucker out in one punch. See she's, she's invisible and you just hear this. And the dude drops. <laughs> I, I feel like they're not paying enough attention to Sue's right hook. That that was spectacular. And then it's probably then her strongest day,
0: play. Well, they go back. Honestly. They get uh, they sort of argue, and the thing's mad at Reed because you know he's a malformed uh, rock shaped like the tip of a penis. What does the which, tip
1: of your penis look like?
0: He's he has an interesting look to him in this movie. I, I actually uh, he's the, Ninja
1: Turtle good. He's Ninja Turtle good. I actually thought it was uh,
0: I thought it was pretty impressive what they did with his his mouth and stuff. When yeah, the and the, the eyebrows. Considering like everything else you see, Johnny Storm stuff. Oof. You know, like oh, they did a good job with that. Again. So they go back, and, and uh, the thing loses it, and he goes like wandering around the streets. No, 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 uh, he... no. That's
1: not yet. That's not yet. That comes up later. This is the next thing this is where we get the first Doom reveal, where Doom introduces himself and literally says, "Bring the kids," and. He addresses the, the the human torsion, goes, keep your cool. I'm like, wait, wait a goddamn minute. I'm, I'm starting to dial it back somewhat on how good this Doom is. But then they th- – this is when we get introduced to the actual – they were supposed to be Doom bots, but they're not. So for those of you who don't know, Dr. Doom – Uh, amongst the other things that he is famous for, because he is the best comic book villain ever, has an army of robots that look exactly like him, but are robots so they can get blown up, or when someone who beats him, who shouldn't beat him, shows up, they can explain it away as, oh, that was just a Doom bot but this is a Roger Corman production and they only had the money to make the one doom suit. So there are just these people who show up with automatic rifles in like these green hoods and tunics. And you're just meant to intuit. Oh, those are doom's henchmen. And honestly, they do come across as doom's henchmen and it's fine. They're
0: the Robin hood men in tights,
1: (laughs) but we do get at this point, we get our first it's clobbering time. And the thing then kicks ass, and he actually does a fair job of kicking ass, especially when you consider this thing was made for a million dollars.
0: Yeah, he he tosses some people around before running right? through a, running through a wall.
1: <laughs> oh man, he totally cool man Kool Aid Man's it. Like Johnny Storm is trying to burn a hole in the wall, and they're like, "Wait, wait, this is my thing, blah, It's 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 spectacular.
0: Yeah, up until Johnny Storm becomes uh, an effect from the Lawnmower Man and raises the accurate. laser beam, he really doesn't have a lot to do. Like, he throws a couple of fireballs at people. He's unable to melt the wall, and the thing has to run through it.
1: Yep. And then the thing that frustrates me is Doom walks out and goes, "Uh, they've escaped. Nothing I can do. I'm like, uh, yeah, uh, it's uh, it's right. not
0: Doom-like. But as I said, I mean that that turns into like the hey, you know it'll make me feel better if I go to this uh, this guy's sword and just kill everyone,
1: just murder some hobos.
0: Yeah, I'm just gonna kill him, everyone in the sword. I don't care. I I want the diamond. I'm not happy with how that went. I had a whole laugh plan for their defeat, and I left the room for five seconds. Five seconds. These guys couldn't last with the Fantastic Four.
1: Which again, to be fair, is still incredibly Doctor Doom of him. So all of that still checks out for me.
0: I, I think but, the biggest mistake that his his goons made was they really focused all of their fire on the thing when they could have just eliminated the other three quite quite easily and then de- I, decided how they were going to tackle the thing.
1: I, I feel like that, that argument holds up Maybe for Johnny and Sue, that doesn't work for Reed. Johnny, maybe when he's fire, the bullets don't hurt him. And Sue, maybe she throws up the force field, so it protects her. Yeah. But Reed is elastic; bullets won't hurt him. I, I yeah, I don't, I don't disagree, but eh.
0: I'm just saying but they they were just firing at the rock man. They and they it was were clear firing
1: at the rock man. It was
0: clear that the bullets were bouncing off the rock band.
1: That is fair. That That is completely fair. All right, let's so get then, through
0: this, we got a lot of stuff yeah, to
1: cover. They still get back. They get back to the the lab, and then Reed does the whole, wait a minute, our powers or like our personalities, which mostly just made me angry, and we've covered, because no, they're not. They're supposed to be an inverse of that. But that's fine, and it, it, it's cool. And this is when we're treated to... <laughs> the thing running through the streets, which you'll find out if you watch the documentary, is literally... So, the guy who plays Ben Grimm, uh, Michael Bailey Smith, is not the guy who plays the thing, the, the person in the suit. That's Carl, Carl Filio or something like that. And literally, this is Gonzo shooting where they just had the thing run across Hollywood Fifth and Vine and just scare the shit out of a bunch of random hookers it's it's kind of weird because it's just him out there doing his thing no pun intended
0: it's as close to like the ending scene of any episode of the incredible hulk where he's sauntering off to the sad music where the thing is like really depressed and it's i don't know instead of going anywhere that would have been a better option he decides to wander around the streets Hide outside of restaurants and oh, he scares the shit out of people a, in a very strange manner. <laughs> yeah, he, he gets told he's not, he's not welcome there, and he actually winds up finding his way to Michael Flatley, the mole man's uh underground yeah. utopia.
1: Which again, that it makes sense that you'd include the mole man at this point. Where I'm like, okay, well, so the jeweler is weird, and at this point, I was like. Okay, this is tying together. This makes a lot of sense. This is why this movie might be the best Fantastic Four movie. But right after that, we're also treated to the fact that Sue has made costumes for everyone. And they are, in fact, the Fantastic Four. And these, listen, I am making a Fantastic Four costume right now. I'm going to be one of four dudes. Well, actually, four people, I suppose I should say, uh, that are going to be a Fantastic Four cosplay that's happening in Pittsburgh, and my costume looks a lot better than this. Now I realize it's it's thirty years on, basically, but I'm just like, Jesus Christ, Ooh. that that was the that was the decision that was made, and if you listen to the do, the doomed commentary about the making of this thing, they talk about well, no, 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 Sue made these. This is This is Sue's level at sewing, so presumably she's got lycra and a sewing machine. But this is where we're at. There was a lot of
0: white trim, like a lot, especially at the collar.
1: It's 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 weird. I don't I don't. It's you know what? It's a choice they made. It's a choice that's reflected in the comics. There's a lot of potential Fantastic Four things they could do. I'm just gonna roll with it. And at that point they cut back to Thing is amongst the the outcasts of not the Mole Man the jeweler. And obviously he's accepted into all of these other outcasts, which amazingly works. It it totally makes sense that the guy who is the the person who's in charge of all the people who are derelicts and not are outcasts by society because they're weird or whatever gets the thing and it, it again it ties in so nicely but then we we're also reminded that oh shit Doom is coming to get that diamond back
0: which leads to the massacre and then of course Alicia realizing that Ben is there in the underground village and she tells him she loves him why I don't know <laughs> out of
1: nowhere out of like... nowhere I
0: I don't even think they exchanged any sort of information when he accosted her originally. He didn't even apologize for breaking her thing. He just roughly picked her up and that sent her into a tizzy about this guy. And it doesn't make a lot of sense, but when she pronounces and professes her love for him, his heart softens a little bit and he turns back into bedroom.
1: Yeah, so this is after Doom comes in because Doom has said, I'm taking a day trip. Shows up to the mole man and says, hey, give me the goddamn diamond. The mole man refuses and threatens to kill Alicia. And this is my favorite part. Doom goes, I I don't care. Kill her. Just give me the fucking diamond.
0: Yeah, a really odd threat because it's like, do you think that this man knows her? or Yeah.
1: <laughs> I-, I will kill this random woman. All he's right, like, Super. Give okay. Diamond.
0: I'm still gonna take the diamond and ruin all your TVs.
1: <laughs> I, I did like that. At one point, they're riddling Doom with bullets, and he flexes back at them. And for whatever reason, those bullets shoot out from him and murder some people, which was fine, but it didn't make a lot of sense. Which is cool.
0: Well, he's got like the Captain Phasma armor. <laughs> Where you know stuff just bounces off him, and he's too cheap to give any of his henchmen armor, and he's just like, "Hey, you know that spray paint that you have on? That's probably gonna kill you anyways.
1: Good it enough. doesn't.
0: It doesn't stop bullets. <laughs> so, uh, be careful, but, boys.
1: But in any case, Doom is like, I, I don't care about this random woman. Give me the diamond. And then Thing appears and goes, "Hey, I'm gonna defend Alicia." And, and that's where you get the pronouncements of love and the, the, the morph from thing into Ben, which we kind of glossed over before, but they actually they do pay a little bit of, of service to this where the idea is that whatever changed them is also somewhat psychically related to their own, you know personal flaws. Again, I, I feel like it's an inverse, right? I'm always flexing this way and that, and you're always shy and you're a hothead. But it's the, the idea that the thing is so, you know, closed off emotionally that it makes him a, a monster, which now at this point where he realizes he does love another person, morphs him back
0: into human. Safe to say it it didn't take much. Like, I feel like... He's so easy in and out of love, he could turn back into Ben Grimm whenever he wants.
1: Also, it is worth noting, as Michael Bailey Smith was a bodybuilder, and the guy they built the the thing suit for, the guy who wore the thing suit, was a guy named Carl Carofalo. And Carl was not that. And he shows up in the Doom thing, and I'm not trying to shit on him. He seems... You know, it was just a, a consequence of having to make this thing as fast as they could. They got a stunt man to build the suit around without thinking through what the actual actor who would play the thing would look like. So when he shrinks into a human form, he doesn't shrink that much. And you're reminded, oh, shit, this guy's kind of huge.
0: He, yeah, he's a six foot five guy. And I'm not sure how tall Carl was, but when they show like a still of him next to the suit, he's a full head length above the suit.
1: Yeah. It's noticeable, is what I would say. Yeah. And, and here's the, the one turn where I feel like it's weird with Doom. That, that bugs me. Doom went from, kill the thing, to, no, oh, the thing is not a, not a rock man anymore. Let him go. It's fine. Yeah, that was a
0: mistake.
1: Yeah, that was the whole, your whole plan is to steal their powers, so definitely at least incapacitate, maybe murder that guy so you can do that, but...
0: Uh, Yeah, think about kidnapping him, running some tests, not with the same doctor, preferably one that's a real doctor.
1: An actual doctor as opposed to, "Ah, I just jabbed my hand! Uh, But, you
0: know, there's probably something to be gleaned from analyzing him.
1: Even a corpse, again, even a corpse.
0: Hey man, they got a lot of good use out of Zod's corpse and Batman vs. Superman, so I'm sure they could find something in there.
1: You and I both know they got no good use out of oh, Zod's corpse. Oh, they got corpse. tons
0: of use out of that corpse, Are you kidding me?
1: And then, so, at this point, they go, I guess, Doom goes back to Latveria. Thing goes, well, Ben at this point, because he's human, goes back to the, the rest of the Fantastic Four. And Doom gives them a threat to show up to Latveria because I've got this laser. And he shows the laser, and he's like, do this, or the laser will. And I I, I guess the answer is that the laser will just play atomic bomb test footage. Because literally, it's, it's four or five shots of the most famous atomic bomb test footage you can imagine. Where you go, that's atomic bomb test footage, all right.
0: So so that. Dr. Doom built the Death Star, essentially, in his castle. And he blows up some city, I don't know. Also, it's not clear why he's blowing cities up, because his end goal is just to get harness the power of this meteor, which really just means he needs to steal the diamond from homeless Michael Flatley, which he does anyways. So I was kind of confused by all of that.
1: Well, so as far as I understood it, He's, he's using the, I will use the laser on New York if you four don't show up and surrender yourselves.
0: Ah, uh, okay. So, so I, does... I'll blow up uh, Alderaan if you don't tell me where the rebel base is.
1: Yeah, more or less. But it does beg the question, well, I can blow up Alderaan, so why do I really need the ability to be stretchy, create fires, be invisible, or be super strong, actually matter? But... but... It, it I think still...
0: if he was being a front-runner, he really only needed Sue and Johnny's powers. I mean, Reed's, Reed's are okay, but he's already super strong and bullet. He's immune to bullets, so. And does he want to look like the thing? He's already an ugly guy, apparently, after he got electrocuted for an hour and 48 Ooh, minutes. And...
1: Pump the brakes, because here's the best thing about Dr. Doom that I like the most. And this is the Jack Kirby the guy who helped originate the character, which is the whole accident... So in the comics, the whole accident that caused Dr. Doom to feel like he needs to wear a mask is that Dr. Doom is actually very, very handsome. But he's such an egotist. He's so vain that it's just a minor nick on his face. It's like a a hockey scar... But that's enough for him that he feels like he has to hide his face. And that's what I, I love about the character is that nuance. Though in this film you are absolutely right. It is because he is super gross looking. And probably looking like a rock monster isn't a downgrade for him.
0: Which for the record they do in every other Fantastic Four movie. None of them understand that that's sort of the principle of the character. This perfectionist can't stand the sight of himself, even though bad at all. In every other movie, they make him a total freak,
1: and it drives me nuts. But there's little I can do about it.
0: Yeah. So in any case, it is what it is.
1: They uh they decide, hey, we can't we can't let that happen. They're gonna go to surrender, but not really because the thing shows up. Reed, Sue, and Johnny are there, and they all decide, hey, we are the Fantastic Four. Drop the goddamn title. Here we are, and then we get the montage of the Baxter Building, which, for whatever reason, is the four-four-four-four-four building. That's four fours. I don't know why they chose to do that, but that's the reality of where we're at now. And a fantastic car out of there, straight to to Castle Doom.
0: Seems like that wouldn't be like a very quick trip.
1: Ah uh, well, yeah, I'm willing to go. A oh, fantastic car, so it's fine. But in any case, they show up in Castle Doom and are immediately trapped. Like, they... they, There are X's on the floor for all four of them and they all stand in all of the the X's. And it's like, oh, there's a force field, we're trapped.
0: This is literally after they say, have you ever felt like you've been walking into a trap before? I don't know, I've never walked into a trap. And then immediately and then, did. Whoops. And then they're trapped.
1: Womp, womp.
0: Maybe, you know with that in mind, be like, yeah, you're right. Maybe we should have a strategy. Like, let's not all walk in single file and then step into the, the exact spots we shouldn't.
1: Yeah. So they get trapped, and then for some reason, Reed is able to stretch his foot under the force field, kick the thing that is creating the force field, and it frees the Fantastic Four. And at that point, it is catchphrase time. And just everybody says their thing.
0: Uh, the the foot kick. I, I didn't like many of the stretchy effects. Probably any of them. But that one I thought was the single worst. None of them effect. are
1: good. None of yeah. them are good. But that was definitely the worst. And at that point, Doom goes, All right, screw it. Shoot the laser at New York. And yeah. we are treated to the laser being shot at New York. This is where we get the full effect of the Human Torch. So, in the comics, the Human Torch was originally an android who then got frozen, who then, well, frozen, gets put in stasis and eventually becomes Vision. The second Human Torch is Johnny Storm, who is a human ostensibly literally made of fire. And their realization of this is... Let's call it subpar. Would that
0: be fair? It's it's clear at this point they were down to no money, But we also find out that the guy they originally hired to do special effects who had claimed he'd worked on uh, Independence ID4. Day, was like, yeah. like, had no idea what he was doing. So then they had to outsource all the special effects work to this guy named Mr. Film, which I think the name alone is probably a good indicator that what you're going to get might be serviceable, but it's not going to be great because his name is Mr. Film. Uh, and it's and... not.
1: But to be fair, this is the point where it calls back to that video game that Ben and Johnny were playing where he goes, oh, you remember that game? Well, i love to play that game. And it he flies back like he's playing whatever it was, laser defense or missile defense. And lasers don't work like that. But at least they set the seeds for it.
0: It, it. He diverts the laser with his body. With which his also whole body. Which sends him like uh, into like a backflip conniption.
1: Yeah, he really flails wildly. It's It's not good. But at the same time, he does deflect the laser so that New York is spared the atomic bomb footage that the laser, I guess, plays on everybody's phone.
0: I'll tell you one thing. If that laser hits New York, I know who survives. The jeweler. Everyone? The jeweler oh. survives. He's already got a fallout shelter. He's fine. He comes out of the thing clean as a whistle. Probably owns the city after that.
1: Aha! Come down. We can show that laser on multiple different jewels. It's, it's not good. It's not good. Again, but they, thankfully, the human torch. Stops it. Stops
0: the laser. Reed stops, laser. stops stops Doom, who willingly kills himself by detaching his metal arm. Oh wait, wait. And falling so into the abyss.
1: We're treated to a stretch punch off of Castle Doom, where Doom calls for help and goes, Help Reed, Reed, help me. And then basically detaches his own arm, flips the bird to Reed Richards, <laughs> just to be like, fuck you, I didn't need you to save me! And we get nothing. But we're immediate, so this this must, obviously this is before the time of the post-credits whatever, but the scene kind of ends and Reed walks off, and we see the gauntlet that Reed did manage to stay- save start to move. Which, I feel like, you know, anytime post-2000, let's call it, 8, would have been the post-credits, clack, 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 of the fingers moving.
0: For but the record, Marvel did not invent the post credit scene. That's fair. I will lead you to Street Fighter the movie, starring Raoul Julia and Jean-Claude Van Damme.
1: Oh, fuck you, I've got one better, but go where,
0: on. Where a gloved and bison hand erupts from the rubble. After Shadaloo is defeated,
1: I would I would direct you toward a Dolph Lundgren film called Masters of the Universe, where a Skeletor-faced Frank Langella pops up out of the goddamn water or whatever he's in, as Skeletor alive, having been thrown, was on on a bridge in Eternia.
0: So just remember, kids, Marvel did not invent this; they just sort of perfected it. And exactly. obviously nobody's nobody's done a connected universe quite like they have. But Roger Corbin was bum. never given the chance. So I feel like I mean, there's missed opportunity.
1: A little bit. Uh, so Johnny beats the laser. We've got Thing Falls to His Death. God, that CG. Again, they were doing the best they could. But the CGI of Johnny is just really bad. Uh, and then I, I think we cut to Reed and Sue being married, which is the famous shot of the weird rubbery arm wave goodbye through the limo roof, where literally everyone minus Sue is wearing their Fantastic Four gear, which I guess is cool. Uh, I don't know if
0: so I feel s- like it. I stand corrected. The, the weird kick to divert the force field was not yeah. nearly as off-putting as the giant arm waving out of the top of the limousine. Ooh, fair although, point. Although, even that, that giant arm, as creepy as it was, is still better than when Reed Richards dances at the nightclub in Ooh, Rise of the no. Silver Surfer.
1: Nope, nope. Uh, we're, we're not going to remember that, because that's not in this movie. Blah. But, they get married. The end.
0: And that's the end of the movie. So, what we'll do now, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll just talk about some of the things we learned from the documentary. We'll kind of go pretty quick through it, just some bullet points, some interesting facts, because we still got a couple more segments before we wrap up. So, we come back. You know, what what were some of the behind the scenes things? What were some of the interesting things you can learn from watching Doomed? Uh, Again, available on. Amazon Prime, Doomed, the untold story of Richard Corman's Fantastic Four. By the way, it's really not even his movie. He's not the director. He was just the producer who fronted half the money. And it's not entirely clear whether he knew it was never going to be released. But he made out like a bandit with this whole thing. And it's kind of, he kind of seems like a sleaze because of it. He ended up getting a million dollar bonus while all these actors never saw a single residual for this movie. Which, by the way... The YouTube version I watched had been viewed several million times. So, you know, just release the movie. Everybody, people have seen it. Let these guys, you know, cash a few checks here and there. Anyways, we'll come back. So, part two. The the behind-the-scenes of Roger Corbin's Fantastic Four. All right, welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops. We're talking today about the never-released version of the Fantastic Four, produced by Roger Corman, that would have come out in 1994 had the fates aligned. They did not. The movie was really made because a German production company that held the rights to the property needed to extend those rights. So, if you don't, if you're not familiar with uh, when a studio buys rights to a property, uh, for example, like Sony and Spider-Man. You have a window of time to make a film. And if you do not, if you're not actively in production on a film within that window, the rights will revert to the actual property holder. So, the kind of the, the subtext you get about this movie through Doomed, the documentary, is that probably Corman was in on that and was willing to make a movie on the cheap to get a little bit of residual on the back end. Uh, because a lot of people who weren't effective in any good way. Uh, even Stanley is quoted. They have a quote from him in the movie that he said at some Comic-Con sometime or another that mo- the movie was never meant to be shown to anybody. Of course, the actors didn't know that, right? They all acted in good faith. They all gave it their all for these roles, and that's sort of uh, the tragedy of the movie. Now, Roger Corman, if you if you have no clue who he is, and we talked a little bit bit about him, Roger Corman's produced 418 movies, which is, ins- which is an insane amount of movies. And predominantly, all of those are straight-to-DVD or straight-to-video schlocky B-movies, such as Carnosaur. Sci-fi and of those fo-
1: man. Dino Shark. Yep. Sharktopus. I actually might not be Sharktopus, though I said
0: that. I yeah, it is Sharktopus. So of <laughs> those four hundred and eighteen movies, he produced only one that was never released, and that's this movie. So examples Sharktopus versus Werewolf, Attack of the Fifty Foot Cheerleader, Piranaconda Vampirella. Captain Nuke and the Bomber Boys and Slumber Party Massacre. So those were the types of movies he was making. The German company clearly reached out to him for a reason because they were essentially rebuying the property for a million dollars as opposed to whatever they bought it for the first time, which is actually funny because I think they, got, they acquired it in the 80s for just $250,000, which by today's standards, I mean, how much do you think one of these Marvel properties goes for? If you were... A third party studio, not within Disney, I mean tens of millions of dollars,
1: well, I mean th- think about think about the time frame though, right? This thing came out in ninety four which was right before the snap, which I mean this is when Marvel Studios was getting ready to sell off everything they were getting ready to go file bankruptcy, right, yeah. Um, so which uh
0: yeah the dark days of marvel we were right in the thick of it and i, th- I found it kind of interesting that they had a lot of different properties in play that were supposed to happen in this period of time that never did like they talk about wesley snipes was supposed to be black panther
1: how which would have been amazing not as amazing as chadwick boseman but no i i still. agree
0: but i, I think in the, in the long run it turned out better because we got chadwick but we also got Blade, which Blade wanted to uh, they dated to a certain degree, but they're still pretty pretty good. No,
1: they're solid vampire movies. Plus, uh, I mean there was that there there was talks of James Cameron doing a Spider-Man movie. There was a lot happening at this point that seemed like it was gonna take off for Marvel. So they had every reason to try to bury this Fantastic Four movie, which is terrible because frankly uh, this you, know, you watched the the Doom documentary. The people who were in on it didn't know about it. The the lead actors, the the people who were the special effects folks. They poured their heart and soul into this, and you can you can really feel this. I mean, now again, I've kind of shat on the work of uh, what was his name, uh, Jay Underwood as the Human Torch, and you know I I really I feel like he's the wink weak link of the four but i don't think any of that was for trying right they they wanted to make the best movie they could for the amount of money they could and i still think this beats the dick off of any other fan like this movie was made for one million dollars the next fantastic four film the 2005 film was made for ninety million dollar, and this and, movie is better.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I've never watched that one again after seeing it in theaters. God, so it was so
1: bad. i uh, again so bad. It it was not a good movie. This is a all. good yeah. movie. It gets the characters. It understands doom. It and the crazy thing is, like the for the most part, the chemistry between each of the four is there. Like, you really appreciate that Reed cares about Ben, and Johnny cares about Sue, and Sue cares about Johnny, and they all care about each other. Like, even if Reed is super creepy with his whole grooming of Sue, there's not a question that they all want to protect each other, which doesn't exist in literally any of the other movies. Especially, like, the whole idea that Reed and I'm sorry, the Johnny and Sue are meant to be brother and sister. I just I don't buy that Jessica Alba is Captain America's older sister. Again, and then and that's probably down to a lot of the behind the scenes stuff, but these people really cared and really tried to make their best movie and the worst part is you watch this 2014 documentary and you see how hard they tried to pump this up. They went out to Comic-Con, they went out to like Ultimately, they were going to do the, the reveal at Mall of America, and they got shut down, and these folks are doing it on their own dime.
0: They were essentially promoting the movie with their own money and going to cons, signing autographs, talking to fans. They had a screening set up at the Mall of America, like you said, and then they received the cease and desist. And it's sort of heartbreaking because, yes, one, they, not only do they work really hard on this movie, but... They all thought that this was going to be like their big break. Like they're like, oh, we're part of this this Marvel comic book property, and this is exciting. And it was at a time where there was a lot of momentum going into some of this stuff, although not not a lot of it panned out. But well, and like then the Four, per- right?
1: And yeah, that gives you at least Tim Burton's Batman, Batman Returns. You've already had the Superman movies, so why wouldn't Fantastic Four be the next thing?
0: They thought with all these other properties and development, even Wes Craven was supposed to do Doctor Strange, which I think would have been better than the Doctor Strange we got, which I'm not a huge fan of. I don't think it's terrible by any means. I'm just not a big fan of it. Yeah, and I fair. love Wes Craven. But, you know, they all thought this is going to be their big break. And the producers all were thinking to themselves like, hey, we're finally going to get a movie, or the people that work for Roger Corbin, that's going right. to be in a movie theater. like. We've spent our whole lives making these stupid movies that are, are fun, granted, but nobody takes them seriously and now we're working on something that has some momentum behind it, it that's that's the, I think the most heartbreaking thing of it all is that they were really just sort of shanghai you know they, they, they committed all this time and they got nothing in return for it
1: Yeah I, mean, I completely agree I, I, I feel like this was a movie that if for 1994 you think about what came out around that time and this was obviously produced much cheaper than that
0: it doesn't even t- yeah. the million and a half I'm not even sure that's uh, it's a tough figure and they talk about it throughout the movie but I don't know where the money really went
1: think about how much it costs to do 30 seconds of Thanos right
0: yeah uh-huh.
1: now again that's, that's 20 and a 25 years on, sure. But the, what they did for the price that they had, it, it, it's, it's still, it's an impressive feat. And that, that's where I come back to. Now, is it a really good movie? No, probably not. But,
0: for it's a, definitely for not. A,
1: but, for a B movie, that, that got made for, literally, again, the, the 2005, so 15 years ago, the 2005 Fantastic Four was made for literally 90 times the amount of money that this movie was produced on. It's still a stronger film. There are tiebacks. They're, they understand the characters. And, you know, even if he's called the jeweler and not the mole man, you still know this is the mole man. So. I, I really this is this is the strongest Fantastic Four movie for me.
0: It definitely appreciates the property. And I think that's something you you definitely would say that the twenty fifteen movie does not at all. No. It tries to oh. reinvent the wheel and I think me... in a lot of ways it really disrespects the property and which is a, a huge no no when you're dealing with this stuff. And that movie someone... had a monster budget too and it and like and I would rather watch this, at least for the sort of the the novelty of it. Like, wow, this this these people worked on this and it never got released. Like that's pretty incredible. Like you don't really hear of something like that where a movie's fully produced and then someone tries to burn every copy of it. (laughs)
1: Listen, as someone who started out doing what I do, like the first big hit I had in any kind of the cosplay goofy bullshit that I do wasn't being Santa Doom. I appreciate the out of this film, that they got Dr. Doom. Josh Trank, I it, it frustrates me because no one sets out to make a bad movie, but no. I understand yeah. where Dr. Doom comes from. And he's the whole point of that character is that he's larger than life and he's better at everything than everyone. But his tragic flaw, is that he's too arrogant and that he doesn't understand that you know he has to be able to to rely on other people and that 2015 movie that turned him into some kind of like like gelato flavored lime green slap him in the goddamn face it i, I don't have the words it just, it made me so angry. He
0: like was I... essentially, um, they remade it with Keanu Reeves, but he, he was like the alien from, you know, that shows up and he, he has like some incredible mind powers and sort of can just like force someone's brain to explode with his mind. He wasn't, you know, and he, and he was like, he was just a guy who was mad at the world. And now he had mind control and he was just going to make people miserable.
1: So again, I guess what I'm stressing is, fuck you, Josh Trank. Doctor Doom is the best comic book villain ever. Please, Kevin Feige, make this worthwhile.
0: Well, I think you're going to get your wish on that. I have no doubt that uh, the Fantastic Four will be coming back. It's only a matter of time. Now, here's some interesting things uh, in terms of people that auditioned for this movie. David Putty, Patrick Warburton, The Tick. Uh, oh I know
1: where you're going next
0: he, he auditioned to play Ben Grimm and Doctor Doom could have been none other than Mark Ruffalo
1: the Ruffalo
0: yeah Mark Ruffalo also Titus Welliver auditioned uh, to play Doctor Doom right? if you don't he's know everywhere. who who, uh, who he is he's well now he's Bosch, which is I guess the big thing but uh, of course he was on Lost yeah. and he was like Jacob's foil on Lost in that whole uh, sort of main plot that made no sense.
1: I did not dally much into Lost.
0: Well, you saved yourself six years of time then. In terms of people going all out for this movie, the two composers put together a 40-piece orchestra for the music of this movie, and they two basically paid it, funded it themselves.
1: I read that they paid something on the order of 6000 four dollars to make this happen and when you watch this movie you can hear it like everybody's got their own i so i I spent a lot of time on the internet i hear it as a motif. like the the russians have their own sound the mole man or who is not the mole man the jeweler has his own sound the fantastic four have their own sound doom has his own sound it is really it is noticeable
0: the music was a little over the top with its uh, how melodramatic it was. But, I mean, for a movie that cost $1.5 million, I was pretty impressed with the score. I've heard far worse scores. For example, Suicide Squad has a score that is is just not good. That uh, may
1: be fair, but they did include K7's Come Baby Come, which will always have hold a soft spot in my heart.
0: One of the funny things, and you, and you come to find out that Avi Arad, who... He's a mega producer. He's done like the all the Spider-Man movies. He he was like the big person behind. Hey, we have to make sure this never sees the light of day. To the point where he bought up all the copies and apparently burned them. The director, only Cisone, says in the movie that he tried to actually go back and get a print because he knew it wasn't going to be released. And, you know, at the very least, he wanted to have it because this was a piece of his career like he'd worked very hard on it. And by the time he went back to the studio, all of them were gone. But what he had, I, I don't know, how did how did it get out? He had taken something to be reproduced for the studio and he thinks the guy working at that place made himself a copy. And that's that's what how he this says,
1: I choose to believe him based on what he has said. Yeah, Just I guess we'll never coverage. really know.
0: But who cares? I, I, they do show like some cleaned up versions of what the film would look like if it wasn't a VHS copy of a VHS copy, and that would have helped out a lot too. I mean, it's does it's not going to be a good looking film by any stretch of the imagination, but it would be nice to see it like a little bit refurbished.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, the the B movie aspect of this, the gorilla aspect of this, the The idea that this was a small group of people who really cared about a property and, you know, being real about it, cared about their own careers and being attached to a Fantastic Four property or whatever, you know, it it resonates. I mean, if you watch the doomed documentary and particularly the work of the guy who played the thing while in costume, the Carl Califadio or, and I'm, I'm sure he's out there and I'm sorry, I'm butchering your name, Carl. He, he cared about the fantastic four before he got this. Like you can, you can see through this film that it mattered to them to do a good job for these characters that mattered to them. And that's that's the real tragedy of this film to me, is yeah. that there is a group of people who wanted to do the best job that they could, and 2019 it is, have done the best job at a Fantastic Four film I have ever seen, and I have literally seen every Fantastic Four film, and I have watched the... The cartoon. Reed Richards is elastic. Sue can fade from sight. Johnny's the human torch. And Thing just loves to fight. They call them the four.
0: Well, that was as eloquent as could be put. Uh, Two things I found, lastly, very interesting. Uh, They had a... I forget the name of the reporter, and I know who he is, so this is bad. Because I I follow him and, and whatnot. But he covered the whole production of this movie. And at one point, he he pretty much knew like, there's there's no way this thing sees the light of day. This is this is a Corman production. Like what the expectations and the hopes they had going in were not was not going to meet that. And Lloyd Kaufman, who uh, is the head of Troma Entertainment, uh, which did the uh, Toxic Avenger movies, he's also Target a master. At, he's hey, also shout a master out to you, of B movies. James
1: Gunn, James Gunn, hashtag. Rehire James Gunn. Go for it.
0: Uh, he, he was approached to do this as well. And he sensed that there was something not quite on the level about what was happening with this movie. And so he refused for two reasons. One, because he was friends with Stanley, and He thought it would kind of piss Stan off if they did a half-assed job making a Fantastic Four movie. But two, he didn't think the offer was genuine. Like, there was something wrong... Like, why would you want to make a Fantastic Four movie for one point five million dollars? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. You know, when Batman in nineteen eighty nine cost probably something like eighty million, which by today's standards would be closer to two hundred million, they would have spent on it. But
1: well, again, so you, you say that the the next Fantastic Four movie, the two thousand five, was ninety million, which was ten years after. 10 years shit it was 16 after 16 years after 89 yeah just wow
0: which is i mean and we've all know these budgets have ballooned to like sort of insane levels i think justice league but that was also reshot twice was rumored to be over 300 and you could never tell where that money went because that thing's a piece of garbage for the most part because it was reshot three times and it also has Henry Cavill. Poor handsome Henry Cavill's destroyed face.
1: He's a handsome man. I just wish that he'd be Superman for once.
0: Yeah. All right. So that is a bit of the behind the scenes. Uh, when we come back, I have a ranking. Uh, we have our Doctor Doom expert here. I want to know where this Doctor Doom's plan ranked on an all-time Doctor Doom. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna do some bad stuff scale. So, just a moment, we'll be right back. Captain Cash, you've stated several times throughout the show you think Dr. Doom is the best comic book villain of all time. He is
1: the best comic book villain of all time. Fight me, the internet. You can at me at C-A-P-T... C-A-S-H.
0: Now, he wouldn't be my favorite, but I, I agree he's a great villain. And he's had a lot of very maniacal plans over the years. So, Victor Von Doom, ruler of Latveria, in this movie seeks to harvest the power of Colossus, which is a comet, apparently, to steal the fantastic force powers, build a laser for no apparent reason, and also callously murder an innocent blind woman. So, he has a pretty gross checklist of nefarious deeds he wants to commit. So, where would that rank wait. wait, wait.
1: I would argue... He doesn't care about the blind woman even slightly.
0: No, but he'd kill her for sure.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, he'd kill her because he got in the way of his plans, but almost any villain is that. But, but go ahead. Okay, so
0: not Kelsey murder the blind woman, but go to a homeless shelter and murder everybody in it simply for being friends with Michael Flatley. That also fair. fairly fairly evil. That's so, fair.
1: Who wouldn't scale... kill Michael Flatley, though? Who wouldn't kill... Michael Flatley. I
0: ask you. I mean, like by year three of the Lord of the Dance craze, I was pretty sick of Michael Flatley.
1: Right. Like I think he's not so far from Doctor Doom now, are you? I think he Doctor Doom.
0: Michael Flatley'd run his course by that point.
1: (laughs) Anyway, particularly since
0: every show seemed to be the same. Okay, so we have a five point scale. On the low end is a one. This is terrible plot. Awful. On the high end is a five. So I, I looked up five Doctor Doom site. I, I took them from the movies as well as other things. So the worst Doctor Doom plot would be Toby Kebbell as emo hacker Doctor Doom, whose plan is to essentially engulf the planet by absorbing it through his quantum gate and creating a world of his own image, which, as far as I can tell, is just a giant empty rock.
1: It makes me so angry to hear even about that. But I'm going to continue the... Nothing can be that bad. Go on.
0: Uh, number two, you as Christmas Doom, whose sole purpose in life is to become internet famous and annoy sports fans. Which
1: I, I'll be honest with you, that's. I mean, that's not a ten. If Toby Kebbles is a zero, I would put me at like a seven. Frankly,
0: I, I, would, I mean, you're ahead of him for sure. Actually, I grappled with you, putting you ahead of number three, which is Nip Tuck Doom. Who slowly turns into metal and can shoot lightning, and you know what? I have zero fucking idea what he wanted to do, and I just don't care.
1: Uh, Okay, what? Any others?
0: Yes, number four and five are pretty strong because these are from the comics. So number four is the time Doctor Doom kidnaps Sue Storm and forced the team to go back to the 18th century to steal Blackbeard's enchanted treasure. Pretty good plot. And number five, the time he used his sorcery to send Reed and Sue's son to hell.
1: Ooh, Franklin Richards?
0: Yeah, he so, sent okay. him to hell.
1: Now, these are all reasonable questions that, that I appreciate, but I don't feel like they give a full scope of how amazing Doctor Doom is. So let let me couch this in. The other things Doctor Doom has done include... The time Dr. Doom used literally the force of his will and the Molecular Man to keep all of reality from shattering and created the multiverse where he was God-Emperor Doom. It also doesn't include the time that Dr. Doom existed in the 1492 comics where he basically wanted to steal a, a gold orb, but he didn't realize the actual thing he wanted to steal was the staff that would turn anyone into Thor, where he was the ruler of Latveria and had flying Viking ships. It doesn't cover the time Doctor Doom assumed the form of a zombie Reed Richards to eliminate all of the other zombies, and say, I am Doctor Doom, I have saved all that is humanity. I am Doctor Doom, remember my name. So, having said all of that, this Doctor Doom probably falls at about, i call a seven, maybe an eight, honestly. Now, I have worn a cosplay as Doctor Doom as Santa Claus Doctor Doom, but that is based on a what if comic book, where Doctor Doom assumes the power Kringle and becomes Santa Claus. That's a thing you should look it up. It's it's actually spectacular.
0: Doesn't seem very evil to me.
1: <laughs> so, so so here's the thing, Doctor Doom's not evil. He's not. He's he's not a nice guy. He has seen a. Th- so he's the he's the the uh, Doctor Strange. He's seen a thousand different possible realities and the one reality he has seen where the earth is not destroyed is where he is the ruler. He's seen a thousand realities or a hundred million or whatever bullshit he wants to throw out there. That's not the only possible reality, right? And he, he has a lot of, he makes a lot of choices that are morally gray and that aren't correct. But at the same time, he also knows that Hey, look! If I rule the world, there's a decent chance humanity survives to the point at which Bast, the panther god that gives Black Panther his powers, goes, uh, "Uh, actually, yeah, go. You you can have this vibranium. It's it's actually cool." So he is the best comic book villain of all time. He's a scientist. He's a wizard. He's the leader of his own country. He is Batman, Doctor Goddamn Strange, Iron Man, Captain America, everything all together in one.
0: Okay, so that, that didn't answer my question. <laughs> it gave me a lot of background information on him. Fair. Where would where would his plot rank? Is it ahead of Niptuck Doom?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ahead of
0: up but is it below him sending the Fantastic Four to steal Blackbeard's treasure?
1: Oh that's, oh, that's a tough call because Blackbeard's treasure is pretty great. I'd put Tur- it on par.
0: Turns out that Blackbeard is actually Ben Grimm. Blackbeard didn't exist until they went back in time. Pretty interesting. You never know what's going to—you know—you step on a—you step on something. Next thing you know, Ben Grimm's Blackbeard.
1: It's the old butterfly thing. It's goddamn amazing, isn't it?
0: All right, so I would rank it, I don't know. It was pretty convoluted for the most part, but I did like some of his doomness. Yeah, I I would rank it just ahead of Nip-Tuck Doom. I'd be honest, I think at this point, the only way to save Doom's legacy in cinema is to have him pull like the Deadpool 2 post-credits and go back in time and right all these wrongs. So the new Doom should just like create a new reality where he kills all the other Dooms?
1: I'd be cool with that. I would super be cool with that. I think
0: that would be pretty awesome. And then also crushes that poor excuse for a Silver Surfer.
1: Oh, Doug Jones. Doug Jones just tried so hard.
0: Poor Doug Jones was... Told that he would be the Silver Surfer, and like a month before the movie came out, they're like, Hey, we're gonna redouble your lines, we need someone famous. I guess God, he's used impressive. to that because it happened to him on more than one. On Hellboy, oh, and uh, at least
1: he's got uh, the new Star Trek. Oh,
0: so that wraps up our uh, look at Roger Corman's fantastic four
1: still the best fantastic four film
0: you know in a in a sea of not so great titles I, I would say that's a it's the fair statement it it tries it really tried hard i feel for the actors really everyone involved because it wasn't for lack of their effort they went out to make a movie and they had hopes and aspirations and it just didn't pan out for them and it's a bummer because really they could have been cashing checks on this movie for the rest of their lives because almost certainly people, you know, people have been selling bootleg copies of this thing at comic cons for 20 years. So for them not to see a dime of that is totally unfair, especially when Roger Corman got paid a kickback of a million dollars on the back end to just shut up about it. The old
1: Ashcan copy kids.
0: Yeah. So, uh, it, it's, I, I would say watch it. And, uh, we were gonna we were gonna do something new because it is hops and flops and we we gave you what we were drinking in honor of uh, the movie we were discussing and how many beers do you think it takes to get through this movie? To me uh, on a scale of one to six, it's really only a couple because it's entertaining for what it you know you watch it for what it is. you don't have super high hopes because if it was something life-changing it would have been released. So I would say you know two, three it's fun. I enjoyed it. My wife got a kick out of it. She couldn't believe I was making her watch it, but, you know.
1: Similar on my side of the house. Listen, are you a fan of the Fantastic Four? You'll get through this in one or two of the cheapest beer that you can just drink while you're watching it. Uh, do, you, do you not give a fuck about comic book movies? Then, you know, three to four, maybe five, but as it stands, it's actually a Pretty solid movie. I mean, it's got crappy special effects. I'm not gonna pretend like it's anything you know world affirming or anything like that. But it 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 understands what the Fantastic Four are. It in it revels in what the Fantastic Four are. It revels in what their principal antagonist Doctor Doom is. You know, it's it's worth a couple of beers and a ah, I can't believe this shit is happening.
0: It it feels like a '90s movie. It feels dated uh it's fun for what it is and at least it did like it did have a certain admiration for the characters like i would gladly show this movie to somebody as like a a relic of of what comic book movies were at one time as compared sure. to now like you know people complain about comic book movies now like oh i can't believe this it's like dude give me a break like when i was a kid i was i was 6 i had batman 89 and that was really it. You know, like, we had Batman, we had Batman Returns, and then they ruined Batman, and there was nothing.
1: And it, and not for nothing, this isn't a bad version of the Fantastic Four. It's just a cheap version of the Fantastic Four, which is different.
0: If if I had seen it as a kid, I would probably have, like, a real nostalgia for it, where yeah. I, I'd, I'd like it a lot more than i end up liking it because I'm much older now, and you know, I'd never seen it before, and all you hear about it is how bad it is. So, But as a kid, I probably would have thought it was great. Just like I thought, you know, I used to watch the old Godzilla movies. I thought they were the greatest thing on Earth. So, And those were guys in a rubber suit.
1: Yeah, that's about where this is.
0: It really is, yeah. I mean, it's it's something where it, if you were five or six in 1994, it would have blown your mind. Now, not so much. You know, even Batman now doesn't blow your mind. I mean, there's clear scenes in that movie that are just models. So
1: Still, if you had a couple drinks, check out the Fantastic Four on goddamn YouTube. It's a good time.
0: If you could find a better transfer than the one I saw, that'd be good. But I don't know if it exists. So, Because the one I saw was really... I mean, there was like tracking parts where the tape was going out.
1: All right, so I've got a drinking game for you. You can play along if you like. Here are my rules. One, drink anytime anyone says a catchphrase. So that'll include Fantastic Four, it's clobbering time, flame on, flame off. Also, anytime someone explains the scientific reason for whatever they're doing mostly this is going to be a read.
0: As he says, there's a scientific explanation for everything, even if he can't actually tell you what it is.
1: And it is terrible when he tries to. All right? So, now having said all of that, let's get into the slightly more advanced drinking game. So, you want to get wrecked? Okay, let's get wrecked. So, anytime there is a moment of true bromance between The Thing and Mr. Fantastic... This shows up alarmingly a lot. It's any time that they just you really feel like they care about each other and they they want to make sure they're okay. Also, drink any time that the symphony is way too goddamn good for the movie you're watching. Oh, like you're there trying
0: are, to kill people.
1: <laughs> there are elite motifs for the Borises, there are elite motifs for the not the mole man, there are elite motifs for Doom. It's crazy. Just, just drink every time you're like, "Wow, this, this symphony is fantastic." Drink any time that Doom laughs or laugh along with Doom. Your choice. So either. What about uh, like
0: uh, when he when he like really is very emotive with his hands? That happens a lot.
1: Still drink. That's the, yeah. that's the deal. Also, drink anytime. time Reed uses the stretch powers, and for the duration of that stretch. So when he goes like nah, to punch Doctor Doom, you're drinking the whole time.
0: So it's like a chug.
1: Nah, it's not a chug. That's a that's a really harsh. You're you're drinking for like two to three to four maybe five seconds.
0: Yeah, uh, a mild chug.
1: It's a mild chug. It's it's not too aggressive. And I believe that covers it. So yeah, that that about gets it. Listen, okay, if you want to throw so... out some additional, let's drink to the Fantastic Four. While you watch this film, I will happily drink The Three Philosophers with you. Only if it's a Belgian quad. Let's do this thing.
0: I think uh, two, two additional rules. You must have a solemn drink for when the thing is wandering around the city depressed and accosting people with his depression. Uh, and you must also... Pour one back for Dr. Reed Richards getting married in his costume, which is just an absolutely absurd thing to do. So that concludes our show. I thank my guest, uh, Captain Cash. Again, you can find him on both Twitter and Instagram at Captain Cash. That's C A P T C A S H. Thank you again to the Revenge of the com for being the home of this show. And find us on Twitter. Myself at WriterTLK and the show at Hops and B.O. Flops. We will return soon with a podcast focused on 1990s classic, The Perfect Weapon. It's actually really just a Kempo infomercial. And then we've got some really exciting things coming up for March. So stay tuned. I'll tweet about those uh, in the next week or so. Uh, It was a pleasure. Thank you. And we'll see you next time.